I've worked decently hard for like three straight years on this one thing. It's not as long as people think if you like work smart and digitally hard, if that makes sense. My name is Dimitri and I'm a productivity and systems enthusiast. I'm Chance. I'm a philosophy and self-development enthusiast. And you're listening to the Rise Productive Podcast. The show where productivity meets business. And what it means to build better systems. Enjoy the show. If you're listening to this, you are not on our private subscriber feed and you will only be hearing a portion of this episode. If you'd like to listen to the full length episode, you'll need to go to riseproductive.com membership or sign up on your favorite podcasting app for exclusive access. From there, you'll also get access to our exclusive newsletter, the weekly pour over, our private members only Discord community, and any other subscriber only content. So if you enjoy what we are doing here, please consider becoming a member. You know, Chance, this one's going to be a fun one. You know, I'm excited to have Simone here on the podcast. I've heard a lot about him, but never put a name to the face. So this will be a good one. I'm excited to get to know you. Simone, thanks for being here. I think- Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Not to correct you, but you said that backwards. It's a face to the name. All right. Well, All right. I, anyways, um, so uh, not to roast Chance on this podcast. This is about somebody else. Uh, we're very excited to have you on. For those of you that aren't aware, uh, Simone and I uh, do some consulting work together in Notion. Uh, he is uh, definitely smarter than me at, at, at builds and, and handling like what clients want. Meant the, it, it, it's it's impressive to see the builds are beautiful and I'm just grateful to, to have them around. So, uh, to get things started, I think it'd be good if the audience get a little bit of context on who you are, how you got here, how you became a no code superstar. I was trying to find a fun word. So there we go. Um, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I'm definitely not smarter than you. But hey, uh, I do have some more experience probably. Um, I've been doing this for uh, around three years now. And so my name is Simone. That's Simon, essentially, in Italian. And I come from Italy. And I've been doing Notion consulting work for around three years now. I'm a certified Notion consultant. And then I'm also Coda expert, make partner. So I mostly do work with no-code tools and automation, mostly working with uh, companies to build internal operations systems for them. So currently based in Berlin because I also study at university. I'm a graduate student um, and I'm studying strategy and digital business. That is a master's program in, at a French university, although my branch is based in Berlin specifically. So that's a bit about me and where I'm based right now. Where do you speak French to? I only speak a very little French because oh. I spent, uh, you know, around two months in France last year. We had a semester there but then nothing more than very basic stuff. Uh, okay. So what got you into um, the start of your journey with the consulting and being on Notion? Were you on Notion before this or um, did, was three years ago when you had started getting on Notion as well? And just kind of walk us through like what was the uh, your inspiration for going down this journey? Right. So I started using Notion around four years ago. So one year before I started consulting and I discovered Notion on YouTube um, based on, I mean, thanks to Ali Abdal, that was the channel where I discovered Notion first. Then I started using it for university. I was an undergraduate at that time. Started using it for managing my courses and then expanded it to managing workouts, then managing tasks and projects. And after a few months, I had my whole life there. So 
And after that, then the YouTube algorithm made its job. And, uh, you know, I got a ton of recommendations there on learning Notion and then got into the Notion YouTube channel. At that time, they, they did a lot of uh, live streams, but they went in depth into full builds. And then at that time, there were, uh, you know, Marie Poulin uh, was one of the main experts on the Notion channel. Then there was William Nat, August Bradley. And I started to absorb knowledge from all these people. And then next step was I started building templates. So I already had a blog or website where I would write mostly about mental models, psychology, and uh, life and fitness, because th these were my main passions. So I started a blog for that. And then at some point I started creating templates around those things and also writing about these templates, so producing content. And that was the template era. And after the template era, then I started getting into consulting because there was demand, but there wasn't much supply really. Very uh, few consultants in the world. So I went on Fiverr, started to get some deals there, and that gave me some momentum to keep going. Confidence, good reviews, and then I expanded slowly. Uh, and the demand was always very high with little supply, especially in the early days. And that sort of um, got me on a good trajectory. After one year of doing consulting without being certified, I got certified by Notion. And then continue to do uh, the same things with higher rates and uh, more credit and trust. And then I, I'm slowly expanding out of Notion as well, doing other work with the uh, no-code tools in general and automation. Yeah, that's a, it's a very similar journey, actually, funny enough to like how I started, except mine was Thomas Frank. And I did start uh, Rice Productive as like a health and wellness blog. That's like the first, uh, before doing YouTube, I, there was like a four month period where like I wrote an ebook and then just like wrote blogs and that was my interest. So very funny how that, that we both did that at the beginning. Um, I don't know. It's a little, a little bit more of a saturated field, uh, at least at the time for sure, uh, which is, I, I'm sure you uh, recalled there there was a big wave in self-improvement and everything but i totally agree with you there, there wasn't a lot of supply uh, for the demand of the notion builds and templates so i'm curious in regards to what was like that first experience like when somebody asked you for you know help with one-on-one -on -one stuff because every i feel like that's the majority of how people think that maybe they should do it because i just got an email from somebody about it and was like oh okay and then uh, the first gia the first client i ever had was was just like a cold email that ended up turning into a decent decent uh, project size yeah so for me yeah the, the first time so it was pretty great a pretty great sensation because then uh, i saw something something that could happen and really the first client I undercharged significantly. So essentially I charged um, $60, I think, for um, an ocean workspace build. Yeah, and it was wow. a company. And so the client uh, told me, look, this is too low. Um, that is not acceptable. And he paid me more. Um, so that was a good lesson in pricing, starting early. Uh, I mean, at that, at that point in time, I didn't have any job before. so no idea about how pricing works or, or anything like that. So something like, I love Notion. So why should I charge a, a, a lot for building something that, that I like building? So that was my mindset. And then, yeah, I'm still learning about pricing, but hey, it's a, it's a constant journey. 
So, yeah. But does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I'm curious. Um, I don't know if you've uh, read the book, um, Hundred Million Dollar Offers by Alex Hermosi, but it's something that we've talked about here on the, the podcast, just about like up in the, the offer. And um, I think it is really hard when you're getting started to figure out where your value lands. Like what is an hour of your time actually worth? with the level of expertise and experiences that you have. And so what is the kind of the lesson that you've drawn over the years of doing consulting and how have you been able to redefine the value of your services and like kind of up that, up that price? Right. Okay. I think value is mostly perception and value is a lot related to the branding that you have around yourself. So what value you produced, out to the world, um, the world will get back to you. Um, so essentially, I've uh, increased my hourly rate significantly, costly over, over time, um, by arriving until uh, $100 per hour. Yeah. Um, and really, value, besides being perception, that is, uh, clients can perceive your value based on the work that you do, the experience that you have, but also the way you present yourself. So that's a lot of uh, positioning in marketing. It is also, personally speaking, is a self-esteem journey, essentially. So yeah. you start by having very low self-esteem. You do not know what you're doing and everything, your environment feels very blurred and you do not know exactly where you are and what you're doing there. And then once you start to gain momentum, then you start to understand. So the environment becomes a bit more clear and you start to understand what's the value that you can put to your work. And that can increase over time. So value goes hand in hand with self-esteem as far as I'm concerned. And then another thing about value is that value is perceived. So externally with companies, especially when you work in, in yeah. B2B, value varies a lot based on the company that you're talking with. Um, if you're working with uh, companies in, in Silicon Valley, for example, they generally speaking, they have a lot of budget to spend on software projects, for example. And so you can charge them much higher rates than a company in Europe, for, uh, for instance, where the mindset about these kind of projects is very different and companies put lower budget to it. So it is also a matter of mindset and, and the value perceived by your clients. Yeah, I totally agree. I think you've probably seen it with some of the clients you've worked on and then the ones we've worked together with, like the American culture is how can we become more efficient and i don't think european companies necessarily care as much so the value prop is a little bit harder because in notion it's it's just so hard to quantify like you can't say this is going to save you x amount of hours i mean we've read that book i've tried so many different ways to think about like how to add that value proposition and the only industries that really get it i mean we've had law firms consistently and i think it's just because they know that they're behind and then like one person at the company realizes that you know law firms in general have a very hard time keeping up with workload management because they're just so archaic in their organization chances in law school uh so he kind of like knows about that industry a little bit and it's it's definitely really interesting how different every industry views and I, I didn't even think about the geographic standpoint because we have a much different work culture here than um than in europe and even though honestly you work a 
for not to be like for European, but generally speaking from like what you're all that you're doing, I think you probably have a decently different, like, I don't want to say work ethic, but it seems like it, like from what all the different things you're doing. Uh, how do you feel that your growth as like a person has been changed by doing all these different projects? Cause I, I, I think I've done this for reflection before and you, you're a pretty introspective person. I'm curious when you think back to like, four years ago, like how different your life was from like a getting up, not having all these projects, like to, to think about to manage where, where does your head go about like how that, that journey has changed you and how do you feel about that? Yeah. Uh, I think mostly it's changed me in terms of understanding business from the inside out mm. instead of from the outside in that is, I went to undergraduate business school. So yeah, you you know, talk about a lot about the, concepts around business and departments and all this stuff. And it's very blurry uh, yeah. until you are very inside because business is very practical, right? As a subject. So that is what I understood. Um, another thing that was very introspective is the value conversation that, that we just discussed, right? Yeah. Um, because that's a compromise with yourself or it's a constant talk uh, between you and yourself. So that is something that I'm, that has definitely changed over time. And on, on, on a time perspective, then when I started, you know, still at undergraduate school, so I wasn't doing that much during the day, right? Yeah. Go to university, study a bit, whatever necessary uh, to go on, and then, you know, train um, and do other stuff on the side. And then after that, then I had university plus work. So that put me on a very interesting situation in terms of time management and learning time management. Because then when you are in that, situation you know i feel i still feel very incredibly grateful for that opportunity mm -hmm. and you need to come to terms to how you actually schedule your day and how you where you put your energy because if you work and you go to university and then you want to attend to all the other stuff that's going on in your life and the areas and social life and uh, sport and all this stuff you've got to optimize time management in some capacity and put your energy where you actually want to focus on and that is a bit of a, of a tough choice. Um, but at least in my experience, uh, you need to make that choice. Kind of speaking of uh, time management and balance, um, what is your background in fitness or in sports? Because on your website, you kind of um, pitch yourself as the, the, the business, the fitness, and the life. And so I'm curious, um, what are those other aspects? What's your background, especially in the you know, you're talking to two um, track and field athletes formerly. And so um, we're just kind of curious, like how that, how that all fits into here and maybe how um, you're looking to expand that as your consulting business and maybe just um, personal brand continues to grow. Yes. Um, so I played football until it was, uh, that is soccer. Until it was. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> until it was, uh, since I was uh, six years old or something like that. And I was in love with that sport. Yeah. I also played professionally in my teens. And that really um, is also linked to, to the time management and, and work ethic that, that we discussed briefly before. Mm -hmm. Because at some point I was in middle school and I was playing for a professional team in Italy. And that meant I had school in the morning, then I would uh, get out of school and uh, drive or 
to take a bus actually to the training location that was about one hour away from home, train, then uh, get back home, do any school work needed and repeat five days a week of training plus one uh, day a week of um, match competition. Yeah. So that has something uh, to do with, uh, with work ethic and time management to me. And then I continue to play, uh, to play professionally uh, for some part of high school as well. Then I downgraded uh, a bit, uh, a few leagues. And, and I played until I was 19 years old. Then I moved out to go to university in another city in Italy, in the northern part. And I stopped uh, playing football. So I decided to prioritize that. Uh, in the meantime, in my teenage years, uh, I also started to go to train at the gym. Uh, mostly inspired by Cristiano Ronaldo and yeah, uh, you know yeah. the, the fitness era of, of football that is uh, players getting uh, an incredible shape so I started there and I continued uh, training at the gym then also once I stopped football and that became you know my the main sport that I was focusing on and that I still do so and, and the gym is, is a very different sport from from football right in football you play in a team and that's that's your focus it's not you, it's we. Um, at the gym, you are you and yourself. So um, it's a lot more focused uh, attention and having a structure, a program, progressing over time, um, you know, which is a metaphor for self-improvement. Yeah, I think but yeah, that... that is my, my overall journey. Nice. Yeah, I, I know you. we had talked before about the soccer experience that you had, and I, I do think that the... It's funny. So there's like a culture in the U.S. where uh, I would say that the a lot of non-athletes, especially when they end up like discussing with um, college athletes, they almost talk about things as as they were. So in previous generations in the United States, people who were college athletes and the professional athletes are sort of given the dumb jock like persona. But over time, it seems like uh, companies more and more have ended up realizing when they're going through like hiring processes that you know these kids were forced to learn time management good work ethic uh they i mean i know during my interviews i've talked so much about it like it's it's such an amount of time that people don't realize goes into it and you having that experience i think definitely makes you grateful for probably times when like you can just relax because I, I know when i was in i was i mean and chance uh, just finished uh, his time as an athlete in college about a month ago and it, it it's just a like it's a lot of mental pressure you have to wake up like i have to eat well i have to train well and now i'm doing it more so for like the betterment of myself but when you have that connection to the team and there's always that pressure of like i don't want to let the people down i think that's something that uh, is a little lost on people for who are unaware of like athletics i.e track or cross country they see it as an individual sport but you know at the end of the day i don't want to let my teammates down and i think that sort of also makes you a better team player in business that's like you know we talked about some personal things before the podcast that's why i think like that i believe with with like what i'm doing currently with work it's, it's because i I just have all that experience as a, as a team member and yeah. it, it just brings me back to, to a lot of sort of subliminal things. I don't even, I don't even think about in my day to day. And 
I'm curious whether, you know, you had a bit of a gap, it seems, between, because you're what, 20, or no, you didn't really have, I guess, much of a gap between when you started consulting and then when you finished uh, football, right? It was probably like a year or two? Yeah, about, yeah, a year or two. Mm-hmm. So do you always feel like, and this is just a question based on like how I feel about it, I always felt since being put in that cycle of like training, school, training, whatever, I always feel like that extra dull time is hard to not be spent doing something progressing towards a goal. Is that fair to say? Okay, I would say that's fair to say. I would say the one of the problems I experience with that is that when you are used to filling your day with activities, constantly mm. then when you have time empty time personally i tend to feel um, almost a sense of guilt in terms of why am i not doing something now yeah and what can i do and and that can become haunting you know um, it, it, it can be good as in a certain stage of your life if you need to build then that might be a good mindset to have um, but at some point uh, it can also become counterproductive because then if you can't stop, you can't stop. And it might be beneficial to stop at some point. So uh, I think that. And yeah. Yeah, I think that um, it's always been hard for me as well, doing uh, law school and running this past year to you know, take a second to breathe. Or, or when I have that second to breathe, say, well, what am I going to do with this free time now? Yeah. <laughs> I my I I've nothing I I might as well do something that feels productive for myself whether it be cooking for myself doing some pleasure reading something that felt like I was still improving myself but realizing that you're already doing a lot and you need time to just simply rest from all the things you've been doing has been always always been a hard sell for me I think the first time I actually heard a an argument that sold me on it was probably deep work by yeah. Cal Newport huh? when he talks about the cognitive rest you need just from long study sessions or work sessions, what have you. But um, another thing that I really wanted to, wanted to latch on here, <clears throat> I think we share the sentiment that when you're on a team, you have that kind of community that you're working with and working for. And so as, a, as you're transitioning into the professional world as a, a freelancer, I'm curious, have you had any experience working on a team? I know you don't currently have a like permanent team, but what is it like when you're working on a project for yourself versus with another consultant or with someone like Dimitri perhaps? And um, does that give you like a similar vibe? Cause I, it's, for uh, me and Dimitri, it's like um, there's cross country where you have like the whole team and you're like helping score as like a, a group of runners, but there's like track where it's all about the individual. And it was always hard for me to get behind mm. the, the mental game of just like running for me. Like I loved running for something that was bigger than me. And so I'm curious, is there any kind of um, different feelings or motivations when you're working with a bigger group than just for yourself? Okay. I believe when I'm working with a bigger group, I pay attention to how I communicate things and I try to communicate as much as possible Mm. uh, to make sure that the other people are on the same page Mm, because a lot of, mistakes or friction can happen when you are in a group and you do not communicate exactly what you're doing and what you're thinking Uh, because then also other people are thinking and doing something so that's one thing i believe generally in organizational projects uh, like uh, in my consulting work um, 
you know, there is not the same sense of camaraderie that you have when you play a team sport because yeah. in a team sport, you are, you have a clear objective and you're doing a physical activity to achieve that. And the physical acti- activity makes you tired. And um, because it makes you tired, it makes you more vulnerable and everyone is more vulnerable. And so everyone tries to help each other to be less vulnerable as a whole. And that can provide meaning because you are reaching something. So in the case of football, you're trying to win the match. And to win the match, you need to put a lot of effort that is physical exertion towards it. And I find that can be more more fulfilling than just sitting on a desk, uh, chatting asynchronously with the, with the people in your team. Um, although that, then sometimes there are moments in a project when you're working in a, in a team where there is the need to actually come together and put strength, um, the strength of the collective together. If there is a problem, for example, and usually that can be beneficial sometimes because it wakes things up a bit. Yeah, I, I agree. That makes sense. I, I chance that I can relate to that very much. So like the whole <laughs> being exhausted together, I mean, running is, uh, clearly the sport where that's like the goal is to cross the finish line and you you know empty the the proverbial tank as you're crossing it not before not after and we we definitely definitely know a little bit about that but i agree like something that's been weird in work is that i have never been as nervous about doing poorly doing well like i've had no anxiety like sort of around work even when like even when the buck stops with me for like my business i don't get as nervous about like what if i do poorly because i'm like i don't i don't know what it is but like i I feel like the the physical aspect is is something that a lot of everyday people haven't experienced um with with this kind of work and i'm just curious from your side because you do manage a fair amount of projects at once in notion consulting do you do you feel that pressure much because i'm curious now maybe more so about this whole athlete side of you uh personally probably not as much as others. I don't think I like, I don't feel it probably as much as other people like talk about work stress. I'm not stressed because of like, I need to deliver it. I only ever get stressed because I work like 12, 13 hour days. And it's like, it's just a lot like not, you know what I mean? Like there's a difference there. Not like, Oh, I have to get this done. It's just like, Oh, like I'm working another few hours than other people. So it just, I just feel it. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, I would say generally sometimes, yes, I do have stress. I believe mostly it comes from not deadlines. Um, mm-hmm. Either I'm trying to do too much at the same time. Yeah. In that case, I feel completely overwhelmed. And so in that case, I do feel some level of anxiety or there is friction with a client, for example. So I mostly work with mm-hmm. clients. So that's what I can speak to. And if, if there is friction, and there is that psychological tension, but then you're not in the same room and you got to re- resolve that conflict. Um, that I find sometimes draining uh, because I do tend to be agreeable, generally speaking. So it is uh, tough in that situation. But then I, also, I always try to lean into it and try to address the thing that I think is a problem as clearly as possible and as quickly as possible because otherwise, you know, the whole relationship is ruined. Yeah, and I think it's um, 
a big challenge is being someone who is such a a go-getter or you know you want to you know get after as many projects as you can um learning how to say no to clients or telling them like oh this is enough actually I had a recent very recent experience is um i'm doing some personal research for something with law school and then um i was supposed to put off i was i was told i while i'm doing this personal research project i should be putting off my summer internships but this one research that i'm doing with this one professor he was like oh well can we start a little earlier and i was like you know what sure and so now i'm doing both and you know it's it's uh it's just um creating a lot of tension you know it's spreading me a little more thin than i would like and so um it's definitely a lesson in learning how to um say no or at least set boundaries and so i'm curious i'm sure you've had to deal with this more than i um how do you how have you learned to say no to clients been up front with them and maybe even clear some of that friction when you guys are on a different page about something okay i think saying no is one of the problems that i still struggle with so mm-hmm. i haven't resolved that part yet <laughs> um, and, and that's because um, i think two main reasons one positive quote-unquote reason is that i feel incredibly grateful when people uh, reach out for me, to me for example to work with me and yeah. i do not want to say no because i mean when do i have this opportunity again right so i want to take as many projects as possible and that probably that's probably due to my agreeable personality and then the second possible reason is scarcity so that is if i have these opportunities now i'm not going to have them anymore in the future so i need to take as much on now as possible because then you know i'm going to accumulate calories uh, as much as possible now <laughs> uh, otherwise i'm going to starve uh, in the future when times are not so bright so i think those are my main two reasons for having difficulty saying no and now sometimes i do say no however and uh, for example when i have client requests if they do not have enough budget that's a no so that's uh, a fairly easy aspect for me to say i also sometimes say no if i speak with a potential client and i see that i might not like working with them based on our conversation and and the framework of that conversation um otherwise i mostly say yes and so that is something that i'm still resolving and uh, to me however there is a part of me that thinks this is not much of a problem because saying no is a matter of where you are in your life right now i'm not at that stage really to have that much experience and seniority couldn't go to you know lay back and say no to things mm, because i still need to do a lot of experience to actually understand life better so for now i'm gonna um, try and say yes to many things so that i can try things and then as i go along and, and i become more experienced then i can start saying no so that, that's my mindset there and when it comes to trying to resolve conflicts yeah i think that is i mostly try to address what i feel and what i think and how i would proceed under some friction and then let the other person speak and uh, share their opinion and perspective and then see where we can take it yeah but it's not a, it, it's a it's a quite draining experience for me um, mostly because i think i tend to be quite agreeable it's really crazy to me that rise productive is almost at its three-year anniversary over the years we've shared with you so much free content on how to improve your efficiencies 
operations, and intentionality across multiple content platforms. Between the podcast, newsletter, and YouTube channel, we try to give you as much free value as possible. All that we ask in return for all this free knowledge sharing is that you give us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform so that more entrepreneurs and those seeking more efficiency in their lives can find our content. These podcast reviews increase our rankings and help us reach more people who just like you just want to get more efficient. Thanks in advance. And now let's get back to the show. Yeah, I'd say that you know, personality-wise, you are, but I, I want to give you some props regarding like your time management because I know we've uh, obviously tried to set up meetings before and whatnot. I think you have a very good system for just being like, "This is when I have meetings." Like, I don't want to book myself too thin in that regard. So I think you probably put some great systems into your life, and you say no in 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 ways that maybe you don't even even realize. So like that's that's like where like the the productivity and like doing it for yourself side is, is coming through for, for like someone who, like you said, has a difficult time literally saying no, maybe people can learn from the fact that I know that if I'm going to try to book a time with you, it might not be the easiest thing. And it's because you're not necessary. Your systems aren't necessarily agreeable towards like Simone's always available at whatever time, like that I can, I can get them on there. And I actually learned from you in that sense and decrease the slots available on my, um, calendar because I'm like, you know what? I can't have you know, every Monday through Friday from five to nine open. That's kind of ridiculous. Like let's limit it to like two days a week. And, and I, I appreciate that, um, side. So I'm just curious then if maybe you wanted to chat a little bit about now that you are in this position where you're running this freelancer, uh, sort of notion consulting uh, gig and you're also doing school and you're also training what does maybe a routine look like for Simone Smirley for you know like a, a day-to-day I know it's going to change with classes but I'm just curious yeah so my ideal daily routine yeah would be um, wake up do you want to also know the time to show how sure, yeah no you can you can flex if you get up early or like avoid it if you don't <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> okay so uh, i wake up fairly early so uh, 5 30 right now and um then i do a bit of money routine mm-hmm. that is a uh, specific activities so reading uh, then I, at some point i also eat and then i will spend the first two hours or so doing one hour one hour 45 minutes to one hour doing writing mm-hmm. for yeah for publishing on the blog and then the rest of the time for admin work so emails yeah. slack and all those messaging tools going on um, after that i will train for about two hours and after training i will then do another work session that is one hour 32 hours then, then i eat lunch then i usually either take a walk outside or take a nap, um, or watch YouTube videos. Hell yeah. Um, that is 30, 45 minutes. And then I will go on uh, throughout the afternoon doing work. So yeah. um, mostly the afternoon, I do four to five hours of um, work without meetings. So work on projects, actually making progress. And then usually I reserve the 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. for most meetings. Yeah, that is true. And I, I, I eat somewhere around, uh, yeah, seven. I was gonna PM. say, I, I think now that I realize your slots are usually during that time. Um, mm. Yeah, 
That's interesting. So do you feel like you're more productive than in the, it seems like most of your work blocks, like in the afternoon, but you do, I'd say writing is like one of those weird, like for me at least, like I need that morning clarity to, to, to write. Like, I don't know if I did. It's weird. Writing is a weird thing for me, but yeah, no, uh, it seems like in the afternoon is where you probably do most of your, your work. Yeah, that is right. Right now that's what I do. And, and mostly because also because I, I work with uh, many US companies and that's where mm. most of the action happens for me. So I think that is one of the main reasons. And, um, I'm curious, uh, in this, uh, daily routine, where does, um, some of the social aspects fit in and if not like what, what goes to the wayside when you're you know fitting in friends family other kind of errands and stuff like that i think that is uh, one of the aspects that i most neglected in my life so far um, i do have some social activities mostly on weekends however so generally during the week i don't do much soft, sort of stuff sometimes in the evening if there is something Otherwise, yeah, Saturday or Sunday for socials. Yeah, I, I, I was going to make a comment earlier about the you saying no thing, and I just know like all the things you have going on, and I think that's probably something you uh, have to say no to fairly often. And it's funny because like you had also said that you know, you're in this stage in life where you understand that you don't need you, – you need to focus on you know, getting as many reps as possible because you like haven't accumulated enough life knowledge. I wonder maybe if you could speak to that philosophy a little bit more because at least for me, and I'm sure Chance knows this with a lot of people, like 20s, uh, since I'm 25 and you're 23, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you get these comments ever, but maybe even more so uh, – but like, I got a lot of comments from people like, you know, you should enjoy life more at this stage. And I'm like, ah, that's the antithesis of how compounding works. If you consider my age, actually, like you're wrong objectively for like my goals. But like, I'm curious what your thoughts are on, you know, maybe touch more on, on that philosophy of like, this is the time to, to, to work more than maybe later. Okay. Generally, yes, I think that's my underlying um, concept that I follow, work now to then reap the benefits later. That is, you know, built on top of the concept of delayed gratification. That is mm. like, like an investment, right? You invest now to then become rich later. And, you know, probably that's what I follow, although I'm not 100% convinced of it uh, because there is also an argument for actually if you work now, but then reap the benefits later, how much later? And are you going to still be there later? You know, so. I'm not sure. I, I do believe it's a it's a balance. I haven't found it properly yet. I'm okay with it because you know balances are meant to be pursued, not found. And for now, I just do what I think is best. I, I do believe that probably the social aspect of things that I've been neglecting to some degree might be something that I regret in the future. I'm not hundred percent sure. But I need to make decisions now and you know i can only use heuristics to make those decisions so let's see yeah well i, I you know i i think a common trend i've noticed with talking with you for a long time is you do have a sense of gratitude about you that is uh that is very very obvious and i appreciate it because yeah like it's objectively hilarious to think about some of the jobs we get because the clients that are like 
I'm forgetting. I don't want to say his name, but like V2S, the client we're currently working with, like seems like a just a good person. And it's just funny, objectively, like law firm guy clearly in his like his fifties, very grateful for what we're doing. We're just like, dude, I'm grateful. You're like, like, what, what are we, what are we talking about? Like we're making notion shit. Like, what do we, like, I don't know. It's just so, it's such a, it's such a cool experience. And I appreciate the the level of gratitude you express. And I'm sure clients um, do as well. Um, as we wrap things up here, don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, I just wanted to give you the floor for any closing remarks, anything you want to plug for, for the audience. We, we really appreciate having you on the show, man. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Nothing really much to plug. If you want, you can check out my website. I have two websites, one for business, one for more personal stuff. So you can just search my name and you will find those websites. Uh, they're different to, uh, difficult to spell, so I'm not going to spell them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you being here. It was great to meet you. And um, with that being said, thank you for listening to episode 150. Oh, the Rice Perkton Podcast. And we will see you in the next one. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to continue listening to this conversation, you'll need to subscribe at riseproductive.com slash membership or on your favorite podcast app. Once you do, you'll get full length access to these episodes of the Rise Productive Podcast, as well as access to our subscriber only podcast and newsletter, The Weekly Pour Over.